Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika Soft Gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. We saw that there were women who were representing these core values of gender equity, social justice, and environmental sustainability. So a puffragette, the origin of the word is actually pot plus suffragette. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back and happy post-election day. I have an ha- election day hangover day. I think you were one of the few people I know that knew it was election day. But all politics is local, right? And that's that's where you work. That's from my friend Tip. That's what he always said. That's all right. politics is local. Mm-hmm. So if you don't think those municipal elections are important, people look around the world. What's happening at school committees? Yep. Who are those people? Anyone know? No, because you didn't show up for your municipal election. So go vote. Right. Yeah. So it's very local. I did it by local station at my kid's school. I saw lots of people I knew. Everyone to talk about cannabis. It was good. Before COVID, they used to have bake sales and soup sales. So it was more fun. Mm. Now, not so much, I take it. Yeah. yeah, there was a whole training just on COVID protections, which I hadn't done because I didn't work 2020. You should remind our readers why you have dubbed your location the Tip O'Neill Studio. Let's do a refresher. Yes. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, my connection to Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House back during the Reagan era, he was uh, Speaker of the House. He was our uh, rep- congressperson, congressman, Tip O'Neill, and his father, built my house yeah. so i know craziness many years ago we had a tour called the tip o'neill tour of north cambridge and people 
they stop right in front of my house. <laughs> Some say at night you can still hear Tip pounding his gavel or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Asking what has happened to democracy. And thank you, Joyce, for working a 16-hour day to keep democracy alive. So if I'm a little tired or slow, that is why people, it is just to keep democracy alive. Absolutely. And absolutely. And we do have some good news. I mean, local politics, we have a mayor of Boston who is a woman who okay. I know. I know Michelle Wu. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because she's yep. part of my Emerge Women Network because we're building an old women's network because the boys aren't going to let us in. And Wendy knows us, our guest. You got to build your own. That's what we do so. on every episode of the Canamon Show. A little bit of, <laughs> little bit of building. Brick building around. Brick okay. by brick. Brick by brick. Which brings me to my quick announcement. So join, one of our little join. bricks this week is a sponsor. So we are still looking for sponsors in 2022. And you know why we need your support? Because we are telling these stories of the women who are building this industry, the pioneers, and we want to share their stories and elevate them. And we're preserving these stories because you know what? Pretty soon, this is going to be normal, and people are going to wonder what all the fuss was about. And we will have all the stories of the women and why they were shame and what they did to crush it, and why our sisters in the future can live freely. So, reach out to me, how to find me. We want to sponsor the show, support these stories. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. And that is pretty much my intro today. So, there we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm just moving forward from my you know, election day hangover, but we want to talk about cannabis because. At the election, I was even talking about cannabis. People, you know, are curious about what I'm doing. And this is who's speaking in the ears of the policymakers is very important. So but today's guest is doing some work to make sure that those people are in power and can have their voices heard. She is the executive producer and director of this great documentary, Mary Jane's The Women of Weed, where she's highlighting the stories of women breaking barriers and building businesses in cannabis. And the best part of the whole story is that she was not even a cannabis consumer before, but just wanted to understand, to set out and tell the story, which stories are so powerful. We're so proud of that. So thank you. I seen the film. It feels that I know so many of these ladies and I want you to know them too. So make sure you see it. So here today to talk about her leap into cannabis filmmaking and to share the stories of a few of the ladies in the documentary and what inspired her to set out on this journey. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show. Wendy Borman. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. It's good to have you. So you're in Oregon, right? Yep. The genesis of the film happened when I lived in Colorado, but I moved to Oregon a couple of years ago at this point. Okay. So everyone knows, everyone has their cannabis awakening in Colorado. That's why I had mine. But Oregon <laughs> wasn't far behind. So just what's it like there out now? What's the cannabis scene like there? It's, it's really interesting because I, I started this filmmaking process back in 2016. If we go back in time, we were just starting to see the states roll out their regulations because right. it takes a couple of years after voters vote to legalize something, they have to get all the regulations in place. So the landscape is different. I mean, cannabis doesn't seem like a big deal. Honestly, in Oregon, what everybody wants to talk about now is mushrooms. And oh, yeah. we de decriminalized um, small amounts of all illicit drugs last fall at this rate. And so we're, we're talking about how to do that, kind of following the well, you, must have, you have model. very different kinds of politicians to be open to this. I mean, that's the truth <laughs> yeah. of it. I mean, because yeah. again, I talk a lot about the policymakers, who's talking to the policymakers and who has the power. And I know I live in Cambridge. I kind of joke about this. Tip O'Neill, literally, we are connected to his neighborhood. People in my neighborhood know him or knew him. It's old school boy politics. That's a different way of doing politics. And you need sort of a more progressive idea to say, maybe the government was wrong and mm -hmm. we need to change things because this seems better. That's, that's pro very progressive. So that's impressive. 
Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I'm feel lucky that I live in Oregon in, in many ways. They seem to be really interested in the research on mm-hmm. things. They they as a state, they voted um, two years after uh, Washington and Colorado to legalize cannabis, and so they were able to see some of the the challenges or the stumbling blocks based on how those laws were written and fix them. And and it's been interesting to see how it's been much more welcoming for small businesses. They didn't necessarily write it in that there's a monopoly where they're only giving away five licenses and you have to have all this money in the bank. So that's interesting because I'm in Massachusetts, which is, we were 2016 too. 2016 Mm -hmm. was the same year of the vote and uh, it came in medical first so it was there before so they had the big money because they were the ones who had already mm-hmm. established a seed to sale and now they're trying to backtrack not backtrack but we're trying to set up rules so that we can get some social equity and have some small yeah. businesses gain their foothold so they can have generational wealth before it's taken exactly. over yeah that's but so they didn't hmm. every state that's the thing about cannabis there's no rules everyone does it different yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we have some national guidelines it's still kind of the wild west where each state is uh, its own laboratory <laughs> to say, let's yeah. see if this works. Let's see if this works. So, all right. So let's talk about some of the women who are actually in this yeah. laboratory. So you said you started the project when you were, when you were in Colorado or when you were in Oregon, when did you start it? So I started filming in 2016. So okay. I had lived in Colorado over 18 months, almost okay. two years, heard enough stories about women having success in the industry. And we, um, knew that California and Massachusetts were among the states going to vote that fall. So we ramped up filming 40 women across the U.S. And we kind of spotlighted California and Massachusetts initially to go, okay, let's let's see how these social equity programs, voters respond to these social equity programs as part of the legalization. So is that what, and, so what's the, what did the inspiration, where it come from policy? Did it come from care? Did it come from health? Did it just curiosity? Where did it come from? On, honestly, it was my spidey senses <laughs> as a filmmaker. <laughs> I said, I think there's something there. So I really re- allow myself to be curious about things. And if I'm curious about it and I do enough research and I figure out, I think there's a, a storyline or like a, a narrative arc here that can intrigue people. That's when I, I grab a camera and start filming, frankly. And then we see if we can turn it into something. And I've trusted that. I did a film about elephants in Thailand because I was in Thailand and I saw a baby uh, elephant who'd stepped on a landmine. People need to know about this. And I kind of- That's the thing. Like if a, you have an interest, it's important. And you'll keep you driven. I tell my son, yeah, I have a 23-year-old. Yeah. I a mom. I'm like, he's a musician. This is what he does. I'm like, it's a thing you give to people, but it's something you can do. So yeah, you so have, yeah. I, and so I, I felt like we could sort of be like, as, as you said, like a time capsule, here's the women who were leading the industry at that time, as well as a roadmap of like, here's where we need to go. And so I know that's kind of like a heavy lift as a story maker, but I feel like audiences are intelligent and they can understands that but it's a those heavy things story. are important. It's a microcosm of a macrocosm. I mean, it's sort of what the show is about, is that how can these women take over control and have some input into an industry and make it look like something in our image, caregivers? And because, and you've seen this too, we can go on to the women. A lot of the women who have come into the industry, especially early, were healed by it. Mm-hmm. And and they're not they're not going to stop because they understand the reality of this and they want to help women. They They want to, they honestly, they say this over and over to me. They want to be, the people they didn't have 
and that's mm-hmm. what keeps them going. And the men are really still coming in at a sort of level at still at capital at a capital intensive level. Mm-hmm. And this is a very hard industry to be in. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. Okay. So who, I'm not start from the beginning. Who was the first people to reach out to you? How did you find them? Want to highlight a couple of the ladies who really inspired you before we get yeah. to how the story unfolds? Yeah. So I started this documentary um, by interviewing over 100 people over the phone to just really try to wrap my head around it. And at that point, I didn't necessarily have any anything in mind more than research. So I talked to men, I spoke to women, I spoke to people all over the US in all types of aspects of the industry. And what I started to realize was that cannabis was the intersection of three things, gender equity, social justice, and environmental sustainability. And I knew that was a unique story that had not been told before. We talked about how it can help cancer and we can ta- it can help veterans with PTSD or children with epilepsy. And so the audience had those stories, but what does it look like as you, you turn a movement into an industry? So that was the part that was intriguing to me. And then who are the women who are doing this? Because right. honestly, it was the women who were building the corporate social responsibility into mm-hmm. the framework of this. So the names that really stood out in terms of a research perspective were Betty Aldworth. She was at Students for Sensible Drug Policy for a number of years, but she was actually the face of the Colorado legalization move. So she had all of that right. <laughs> experience from back in the day. Wanda James really stood out to yes. me. She was also the, the first female and woman of color in the state of Colorado and actually the entire U.S. to own a, a legal dispensary. She's using her platform in a very different way than the men who own dispensaries yeah. in Colorado. Yeah. She made social justice the framework and she talks about that from a, a personal and a, a family level too. So that was wonderful. She was actually the first person I purchased cannabis from in, mm-hmm. in, in the film. And then locally, Shalene Title out in Massachusetts. Right. She w- was instrumental in actually writing the law that Massachusetts voters voted on in 2016. So I was honored that I was able to speak to so many women. And I, and I think that was the unique problem with this film is that I could have kept filming for years and years because there's so many wonderful people. And I had to make the conscious choice of film for a year, see what we get, put that out in the world because okay. it's, it's going to have more value as a conversation piece if it comes out faster. And it's also, I don't know, at some point there's got to be boundaries of what you can tell. So my, I, I do a lot of meditation with my rabbi now. <laughs> and last week he was really talking about this. Ahava and the idea of boundaries and love and mm-hmm. the importance of it and oh, you know, all the stuff. So cannabis has changed my perspective on the world. But it is true. These stories can represent a lot of different people in a smaller, because you, you could keep going. I could tell stories mm-hmm. forever. That's the whole mm-hmm. point of the, having this podcast is that mm-hmm. there are these stories that are out there and maybe what we're hearing, always it's the negative stories, which frustrates me. Or you hear the stories about the big money deals, mm-hmm. but there's so few stories about the healing and the goodness and the the collaboration and the connections that the women mm-hmm. in the industry are making. Mm-hmm. I think that's, it's like us. I'm like, I feel like I'm an invisible generation. Like the women building this, we're invisible. We're literally, nobody even talks mm-hmm. about us. We're the generation Xers. Like no one knows we're here, but <laughs> they are actually out there doing this work. So mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. 
All right. So you start filming and what happens? We had some really great success. We, our first film shoot was actually at the Women Grow Leadership Summit in Denver, Colorado in 2016. And that was the year Melissa Etheridge spoke on the main stage. And that led to a great connection. So we were eventually able to interview her in the film. And was she very Um, open? How was she working at this time? Was she just talking about it? Like, was there any stigma? Or was she just saying, well, was there any I mean, issues? she she recognized that, but she had a personal story how yeah. she used cannabis to help some of the negative side effects of chemo while she was right. going through breast cancer. And so that, and that was really part of her story. And she was also at the point where she was just founding Etheridge Farms. So mm-hmm. she has her own cannabis grow and she's working with longtime OG female growers on the think the California coast near Santa Barbara, but I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure where, where it's located, but you know, she had a, a personal connection to it and a personal investment. And so she talked about that, but also how it, it was incorporated into her songwriting, how it became that healing journey became part of her artistic journey. And I think that really resonates with me and also other artists, like Mm -hmm. whether you're at her caliber or not. I think, I think there is something about expressing, you know, what you're going on, going through in your personal life artistically and sharing that with the world. It's very healing. So, uh, so during this time, you are not a person who thought cannabis was something you needed or wanted, or is that true? Or I, I never tried it. Yeah. Yeah. And I had ample opportunity. I mean, I, was a theater and a film major. I was in Eugene, Oregon, you know, for college. I've lived in San Francisco and New York. I mean, I it was around me and I was just not interested mainly because I'd absorbed the message that we were still calling it marijuana then, right? Like I grew up as in the dare generation of marijuana as a gateway drug and there's addiction in my family. And so I never wanted to tempt the genetics with that. But it was after interviewing all of these women. In, in fact, we, we finished filming in 2016 and we did an initial rough cut screening to a small audience to kind of get a sense of how the audience is responding to the film. And people are like, yeah, I think you need to be in it. <laughs> and I was, and at that point I said, well, if I'm in it, then I guess I need to try cannabis. Cause I talked about how I hadn't, and I, I had all these questions. And so we actually first time experience at the, at the end of the film. So there's kind of a fun I, I mean, payoff for people. It's a, again, I mean, I talk about it this way too. People don't expect me to talk about this again. I was at the elections all day yesterday and people were, they're curious and they're willing to see it in me because I had absorbed the same messages. I said, I had a cannabis awakening in 2016. I didn't know this was true. I didn't know I had an endocannabinoid system. I didn't know any of this, but I think sort of like like what you were saying, you were very open to it. So you were able, because of your creative spirit or your, whatever it is that's unique about you and your filmmaking that opened you up. But I think these stories that we're sharing are actually opening people up too. I think that's what's powerful. Yeah. And and honestly, I think I started in one place where I was unsure about the cannabis plant, but I was curious about how the industry was going to express these core values. But at the end, I really had that aha moment of this is not the scary thing that I told that it was. So if I'm going to walk this walk with the film, then I should walk that walk as a person. So I can talk about it from a, a human level exactly. um, of here, here's how it affected me personally. And I, I think that was 
a really wonderfully empowering and even kind of a healing moment for a lot of people to show that because the war on drugs has decimated so many communities. And for us to be able to show here's how it looks when it's legal, it's regulated, it's safe. And it can also be this wonderful bonding experience for a group of women to come together and have have this connection, this shared moment, this shared experience. And so I had what I called cannabis fairy godmothers and they guided me through the process. (laughs) Which again, they're being the women maybe they needed to be. They didn't need, again, most of the ladies I'm talking to in this industry have been longtime consumers because they understood it healed their body. I mean, that's what they're probably really doing, but for a long time, we're getting in trouble. And then as a grownups, some of them stopped, some of them didn't, some of them got sick. There's all sorts of different variations, but they all came back to it with this understanding that's healing them, but they still held the shame at some level, which is why they had to be so public. And to see this, yeah, it's, 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 I find all these stories. And I, I, the women I hang out with now, I find it really interesting. They're really bonded to this idea that they're going to build a community and maybe do this differently than the other industries. But what are you seeing? What you're hitting on for me is women are coming to the cannabis industry for different reasons than men. Part of it is the healing knowledge. Women hold on to the plant medicine. We were the healers before the patriarchy took that away and said, nope, you're a witch, we're a doctor. When we differentiated medicine from plant medicine, right? Right. So a lot of it is we we have to just kind of remember that. I, I think the other part is women are building companies that represent what they want in the world. So they're building not just corporate responsibility, but they're building nonprofits or B Corps, industries that give back to the community, that help repair some of the harms from the war on drugs, that give back, and that really come from a place of education and empowerment, which is very different than the male patriarchal take as much (laughs) as I can, more money for me, less for you. And we don't have that egocentric model for business. We have more of the eco-centric. Which I think the cannabis, just the involvement of cannabis in people's lives is helping them see the world that way. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And and I think it can be, it's kind of a chicken or the egg moment. I think people can come at it from either way. Either this is the way they view the world and they end up being attracted to cannabis Mm -hmm. or they've had a cannabis experience that says, oh no, this is what I can build in the world. I I think it's either of those. I I say this all the time when people are like, they don't believe in it. First, you can't not believe in it. It's a science. It's, (laughs) do you not believe in vitamin C? I don't know. I can't explain it that well. So- (laughs) Well, the larger conversations we've been having as a country, right? Science doesn't care what you believe. It's all the same. All right. So, so, you know, you said Melissa Etheridge was involved and then you said about your fairy, what did you call them? Cannabis fairy godmothers. Cannabis fairy godmothers. Can you just talk about how, did you expect to build relationships with these women or did you expect, were you expect, did you expect that you'd be drawn to it the way you were? Did you have a vision of what it was before you even entered it? The whole cannabis um, industry. What did you think it would be like? I mean, I had a pretty good idea because I had six months it. of research. That's true. You okay. know, and I lived in Colorado for 18 months. And I think that the bigger surprise for me was how long that propaganda stuck around in the back of my head of like, oh, don't yeah. try it. It may not be safe. And you really liked these women and you came to trust them and they were telling yeah. you this thing it, it almost comes back to the women who heal themselves 
the outside world is telling them that it's not working, but they're actually able to listen to their inside body, probably because they're using the cannabis. And so they're able to somehow resist all those crazy messages because they know they're, they, they, they know themselves. They know that. I don't know how they do that. Even with their children, I always say I wouldn't be brave enough to do this, but the women with their children and the seizures and they mm-hmm. really, it's still, that's a big, huge, dangerous issue for some women in yeah. this part of this country. And they're still willing to do it because they can see how it's healing their children. And, they, yeah. and it's hard to get rid of that shame. It's very hard. Even in some parts of the country, it still is a hugely courageous thing to come out of the cannabis closet and say they use cannabis. We we talk about, we have a majority of states that have some sort of legalization, whether it's medical or adult use, but there are still states that will lock you up for yes. smelling like cannabis or the yes. presumption that, well, we have to search this car because we smelled weed and that's still legal, right? So it's, and women have different thresholds of risk than men, right? We could get our, have our kids taken away if we come out and say we use it. We could lose our, we, if we're in some sort of either assisted living or in section eight housing or, or even just a renter, mm-hmm. some states it's illegal to use cannabis even though it's legal in the state, a landlord can kick you out if they suspect you for using That's cannabis. That's true. You know, there's a lot of risks that women take on if they're going to say they're in this industry or even just as a user, whether it's mm-hmm. for them or they're purchasing it for somebody else in their household, like a parent or a child. So it, I recognize that it, it can still be a scary thing and coming out of this cannabis closet really helps change the stigma and and it puts it on the other people to say what are you so scared about like exactly explain to us why this is so bad like we have data now that it's actually helpful (laughs) yep to our, our health, people are using less opioids and painkillers in, in states where it's legal. The schools have more funding. The roads are better. Like there's, but I think that question of like, fall, you know, but the, the question is what people don't know. They say it's a dangerous drug. Like I didn't know what they meant. I assumed they meant it was going to damage my brain. I really didn't even understand what that meant. I never even questioned it. So if people are still coming at you and saying it's a dangerous drug, you say, well, what does it damage? And they'll say, I don't know. Because they don't know, because there's nothing that it does damage, because nobody even knows, they don't understand what how it works. That whole thing about you don't die from cannabis because it doesn't attach to your stem, whatever, parts of your brain that don't, that impact your breathing and your heart. Cannabis has no connections there. They, it, it literally can't kill you. And like opiates or all those other medications that people give you. And it actually says on the bottle, could kill you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have a personal experience somewhat related to that. I um, had to have my tonsils out a couple of years ago. So, and it's painful as a kid, it's very painful as an adult. Um, and so I had to go and get a bottle of hydrocodone and it was almost wow. two feet tall. It was huge. And they basically said, don't get addicted. And I was like, this is how that happens. You know, <laughs> like, you are giving me the, like, don't get addicted in this whole thing. So thankfully I had the awareness to go to my dispensary instead and say, look, I need something for pain relief. I know I'm going to need something to help me sleep. I don't necessarily want to feel high and stoned out of my mind, but I want to be able to let my body rest from the yes. surgery. And they were able to walk me through how to use cannabis in terms of dosage and how often and those sorts of things. 
And honestly, I was able to dump out most of the hydrocodone Yay. bottle at the end, thankfully. But I just think of other people who, if they don't have that awareness or they don't have that access or they don't feel safe enough to even go into a dispensary, like that's the other thing. Some people don't go, but I, I just count my blessings in that that easily could have been another opioid addiction story. And thankfully I had cannabis instead. So I, I had a different ending. And it should be. And again, this is what we talk about. I'm not, I do talk about cannabis, like it saves everything, but I understand it doesn't, but I do know that it should be a part of the first line of defense. It shouldn't be the last thing that people try. It should be all those options that people say, you have a pain in your back. You can take a salve that has some THC in it. You could rub that on your back. That could help you a lot. Or you could take a pain pill, or you could do this. These are the three options. You do, you choose what you want, but the idea that the only options for pain are pills is really wrong, right? And it, what's been interesting to me is I come from a, a medical family and dad's a doctor, mom's a nurse. I have a sister who's a nurse, several friends, and they're, they're all in this Western medicine, which I appreciate. And there's a lot of great knowledge, like we're getting out of a pandemic because we have people on the front line taking Who care believe of in us, science. You know, so <laughs> I really appreciate that. And there's still a lot of cannabis education that I've been able to have with them. And I am not a cannabis expert. I just talk to cannabis experts, right? But I've absorbed some things and I've been able to say, hey, if you're having nerve pain and the tiger bomb's not working, here's something that you can keep in your purse. It doesn't smell like cannabis and you can just roll it on and you can finish your shift or you've had surgery and you want to (laughs) sleep, like try a pain patch. Like I'm not giving them medical advice, right? I'm not able to prescribe anything, but I think just by me providing other options for them, it's been inspiring to see how even people in the medical profession are able to go, this actually works. Like, oh, this actually helps. And then they can become an advocate for other people that they're working with. I mean, that's the thing that doctors are educating. Again, the doctors don't know what it is. They can't tell people about it. And the products things is really important. I don't know. If, mm-hmm. I mean, the products is that you never know what's in it. So you kind of, you mm-hmm. have to almost know, especially now the CBD just isn't regulated enough. So you need to know who's making your products yeah. and what's really in yeah. there. So that's a little tricky too. And for you to come from a medical professional to be able to recommend something that really works and then something they could recommend to another patient. And I, I think the T I, I'd never tried the, I had a lot of CBD salves and I got a THC one that had a little THC in it. I got out in Reno, which apparently they actually sell it mm-hmm. in Boston. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a miracle. I, I mean, just, I mean, I think the CBDs are great, but I was having, I just having some pain in my back and I put it on and I play tennis. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's, and that's <laughs> the difference, right? And I think it's too easy to think that CBD is the cure-all, right? And this is where I really rely on the, the cannabis scientists and the researchers, right? But if you're dealing with pain, CBD is not going to fix a pain response. Like it can help with swelling, it can help with inflammation, and that's related to pain. pain right. But if you want pain relief, that's where you need THC. And you don't need enough that's gonna make you loopy and high and completely knock you out. But you need a little, a little kick to go, oh, okay, take the edge off, and then everything else 
can start I mean, it's, working. Pr- it's probably really easy for people to hear this message from you because you can explain it in a way. Could you again, if you've always been in the industry, if you've always been a consumer, it's just part of like how you are. It's just part of your DNA. You don't even think about it. Like you don't even think about the first time you had a hit. It's just not even probably can't even mm-hmm. remember. Mm-hmm. I assume. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it you is can, interesting yeah. <laughs> to go into a dispensary, and there are. I will say, there's some bud tenders and people at dispensaries who really listen, really try to help find something for you. And they're very knowledgeable. There's a lot of people who it's just kind of like a bartender. Like, what do you want for the shot? Give it to you, move on to the next person. Right. And their, their idea of helping is giving you the strongest thing for the lowest amount of money. And that's another difference for women. Like we have a lot of responsibilities in our lives. We can't be couch locked for an entire weekend. So, and that's not the experience we're looking for most of the time. So being able to go in and say, hey, I'm having hot flashes. I'd like to be able to sleep. That's a different kind of bud tender experience than like, it's my birthday and I want to get effed up. <laughs> or, or I like my favorite, somebody else. my favorite one is they, they, I interviewed women in California who make um, THC infused vaginal suppositories. Mm-hmm. So going into like yeah. a dude dispensary being like, I need my THC infused vaginal suppository. You having those today? <laughs> or do they even have a display of oh, no, yeah. <laughs> cannabis products or products for women? Like products for women. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing that I've been really excited to see in places with more developed mark yeah they get out of that adolescent like get take as much as you want everything's neon colors and whatnot and they're starting to view cannabis as a lifestyle product I've seen that out here definitely yeah it can be skincare it can be nutraceuticals it can be pain relief it can be sleep it can be perimenopause it can be cramps it can like they can find products specifically for women. And I think honestly, that's where women are going to have the most success because the dudes like consolidating these cannabis oligopolies, they're not going to think about the female consumer. Like they're frankly not interested. They're interested. That's, in there's, a po- there's a power so. in invisibility. <laughs> well, and, and honestly, I, I've spoken to a number of women who they made some money selling yep. their cannabis products or their companies. But what they did is they took those profits and rolled it into like a coaching business. So they can teach other cannabis entrepreneurs, here's how to protect yourself, or here's how to structure your company so you can turn it into a franchise model. Or here's the types of things people are going to look at when you're trying to sell your company. So make sure you have this kind of paperwork. I, I think they're also able to have the freedom to develop products that frankly are going to be able to ease that transition because at some point we're going to get out of a dispensary model right and cannabis is going to be at a pharmacy and edibles are going to be in like the food sections of grocery stores and your 20 thc gummies aren't going to be allowed in there just like you can't have a bottle of vodka available on a shelf where a kid can grab it right so the companies who are thinking about it holistically and are in it for the long haul, like they're going to be able to have that transition. I've heard, cause I interviewed quite a few people, not quite a few people doing beverages, cannabis mm-hmm. and beverages. And I keep imagining them in the supermarket next to my wine. I mean, how mm-hmm. awesome would that yeah. be? <laughs> or, or, or bags of tea. I mean, yeah, bags I, of tea. Yeah. going back to my tonsillectomy story, like 
that's what I could consume, then it would give me targeted pain relief exactly where I knew that that was one way I healed. And I would love to have a peppermint, (laughs) CBD, (laughs) THC, turmeric, you know, that's, that's the future people. That's why we're telling these stories because when it happens, you're going to forget. So let's go back to the movie and the puffer jet. Just kind of come, come, talk to me about that phrase and how'd you come up with that and how are you using that to talk about women in cannabis? Yeah. So a, a puffragette, the origin of the word is actually pot plus suffragette. And the reason we blended those two is we looked around at the end of the film and we saw that there were women who were representing these core values of gender equity, social justice, and environmental sustainability. But we didn't have a good word to summarize what that is, right? We had cute things full of alliteration like ganja girls and sativa sisters and things like that. But we needed something to say, here's the movement that we're seeing happening. And so we brainstormed and we came up with the word puffergette. So we really feel like we've um, captured the puffergette movement. And then that, and we've created the, not just the word, but also the logo. So the right. logo, logo is just got the logo yeah it's fun yeah um it's so it's a cannabis leaf plus the woman's and so we uh went ahead and registered those as trademarks and the u.s pto office granted them so Excellent. that's pretty exciting yeah that's great. and those are on your website so let's so you finished this uh i've seen it how are people seeing it and what are you doing next are you going to stay doing cannabis documentaries are you working in the more mom world kid world cannabis what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> First part of your question. Um, so Mary Jane's The Women of Weed is available digitally. So it's on Apple TV, Google Play, Voodoo, Vimeo, and we're also selling DVDs on our website. And so all of those, you can, you can find links to them at maryjanesfilm.com. We also have social media platforms. Currently, we'll see how long uh, we're there <laughs> based on shadow bands and all kinds of things but we're it's, at it's a, it's a can of world we know yeah. yeah i know i know we just like constantly are having to, to appeal different decisions over there but we're on facebook twitter and instagram at mary jane's film and then in terms of what's next i would love to stay in this space to tell stories about women in cannabis and i also am a creative person so i'm at this place personally where i'm just trying to see what what is capturing my curiosity and currently like this month what I'm excited about is seeing what happens post the the summer of reckoning like 2020 was really considered summer of reckoning we had the me too movement that actually corresponded with our world premiere on the festival circuit so that was a really interesting um, conversation to have and then we in 2020 we really saw the calls for social justice and now this year we're at, everybody's in glasgow right now for cop 26 talking about the environment and climate change so i don't know where those three core values are going to take me but i think there is something to how do we reconcile all these things as society and potentially even in the entertainment industry like how do film and theater not just give lip service, right? Because I'm excited about movements once they start infiltrating into either business or political models. So we can have the conversations, okay, but what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, action. And, yeah, exactly. Not mm-hmm. just words, put it into action. And 
that's also something I can film. Like I can film people saying a bunch of flowery stuff, but if their actions don't back that up, that's not a great story. So seeing these change makers in action is really exciting. And these stories are powerful. Again, we are ruled by stories. Everybody's ruled by stories. So these are very, they're just important to have out there so people can see them. So thank you. Thank you, Wendy, for your work. Uh, again, yeah, thank how you. do people find you if they want to reach you? Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, our website is maryjanesfilm.com. The film's available on Apple TV, Google Play, Vudu, Vimeo, and DVD. All right. It'll be on the notes because that is what I do. So it's another show for my guest and my Canabro, David Jazz, and our Canamom Show team, Catherine and Hayden. Another great job. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. Thank you for following and subscribing and sharing all the amazing can of stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush that stigma around cannabis and caregiving. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.